Hello and welcome to the Ghosts of Lincoln podcast. I'm your host, Chris Hatch. And I'm Emmett. And we're going to tell you a scary story about where we're from. I lived nearly my entire life just six blocks from that dark little corner on Washington Street. There were six blocks that buffered my sunny, idyllic childhood from that black and white and bloody past. Blocks full of big, ancient houses. The kind that have eventually been split into those six plexes that are all full of college kids who are looking to live on the cheap. Those homes that are tattooed and scarred by the unsteady hand of Father Time. There's a gas station in between that place and my home, just rough enough to make people nervous, and a heavily foot-trafficked grocery store that was primarily just a front for the liquor that they handed out as fast as those treadmills could shoot them across the price scanners. As a kid, I was always on the move, but forever in one place. The heliocentric universe of those skinned knee days and streetlight nights was always orbiting around the two-and-a-half-story peach-painted sun at 14th and Washington. It was in that house, with the door cracked just enough to let the hall light spill in past my hanging pirate flag and above the wooden door frame where I would snap off the light and leap into the lower bunk of the bed I shared with my older brother grab the comforter seeking just that, and pull it over my chest like some kind of fluffy, bulletproof vest. It was in that house where I first found myself fascinated by the hallucinogenic shadows that I could cause to skitter across the inside of my eyelids when I would scrunch them up really tight in the moments right before bed. And in that house where I found out that sometimes those shadows didn't go away, as quickly as I wanted them to. It was there where my father would enter my room and promise me that the silhouette of a witch that I was convinced had slithered her way from the edges of my dreams to reality and was now at a hidden crouch lurking just beyond the half-lit carpeted hall was nothing more than my imagination hopping onto a treadmill and spinning away. It was there where my mother allowed me to watch a little 15 minutes too much of that one horror movie because she understood exactly the youthful thrill of heart palpitations matching the metronome ticking of scary stories that you tell in the dark and where my brother would read aloud Guide to the Ghosts of Lincoln. I grew up there, lived there, and eventually moved out and started my own family where... Being a self-loathing hashtag millennial, I let my own son watch a little too many of the YouTube videos that claim to show aliens sneaking through the parking lots at Costco or haunted sewer grates with unknown hissing beneath, where I have assured him many times that the spray we gave him to squirt into the air of his room would keep him safe from the abductors he feared might come crawling out on the hairy eight legs of his own bad dreams. And it is there where my son has begun asking me to tell him more and more of the ghost stories that I share with you now. Today's Father's Day, so maybe I'll indulge myself and tell him a little bit about that spot 
on the southeast corner of a place just a few blocks from where I grew up. So let's huddle closer together, throw another log onto our digital campfire, and someone pass me the s'mores. It's midnight now. It's more like 9.45. It's 9.45 now. And we're going to tell you about the cold spot at 20th and Washington Street. (laughs) That was a ghost noise. Boo! This is a What the Husk podcast production. This is The Ghosts of Lincoln, Episode 3. To read Alan Boy's text, the legend here is fairly vague. He tells of a young man taking a midwinter stroll, walking through the streets of Lincoln's near south neighborhood, taking in the fresh, crisp air that January so willingly distributes in this part of town. He may have been looking at the large, old houses that had been built in the early stages of the 20th century. But why was he actually strolling through this neighborhood? Why was he leisurely walking the sidewalks and taking in the scenery? We don't know. His motives are, to this day, unclear. Why did he choose, in the middle of this walk, to stop at this particular intersection and take pause? Again, who TF knows? What I can tell you is this. When I was growing up, if you were standing on a street corner in this part of town, all those decades later, people would start doing that slow creep by in their car. You know the one. At least if you're from my neighborhood, you do. Where the windows roll down just a crack at first. Then if you make eye contact, it slides all the way down before thunking in the door with that loud shunk sound. The one where the driver and or passenger turns down the music in that internationally recognized silence that practically screams what they're thinking. You buying or selling? And you just have to shake your head like, nah, I'm not actually doing either one. Quick sidebar. I once had a guy pull up to me on a non-haunted street corner outside my house on the 4th of July to try to sell me weed. And then when I didn't want any, he attempted to buy some fireworks from me. Which brings us to a segment that we like to call The Ghost Roast. Okay, listen, drug dealer from 2005. Turn down that outro for Mike Jones' latest album or whatever song you're listening to that has the words trill in the title and let me talk to you for a second. I know there's a lot of smoke in the air. I know that fireworks and weed strains all have the same names, so shit could get really confusing. I get that when you see 18-year-olds milling about aimlessly with a lighter in their hands on a street corner near Washington Street, it looks like they're getting invited into their weed dealer MySpace Top 8. But you've got to have a little more tact. And then, when you get here and you roll that window down and you get the side-eye head shake that says, No, man, those are my parents on the porch over there. See the ones housing Diet Coke and getting destroyed by Prius-sized mosquitoes that live under an oak tree in our backyard? They're out here just to keep an eye on me and make sure I don't black cat off this middle finger you're about to get thrust at you. Don't try to change this up into a side transaction. 
Shouldn't I be buying from you? You don't go on Shark Tank, get told by Mark Cuban that he's out, and then try to buy FUBU from Damon John. And what? Now that you know you're not going to get a dime bag handed out, you're trying to get a Freedom Fireworks bag handed in? I may be a cracker, but I'm not crazy. And that's a dad joke on Father's Day. Listen, I'm not selling anything to you. And I get it. It's probably good to diversify your portfolio. You don't want to have all your capital tied up in the weed game, but you're absolutely limiting yourself by getting into the illegal fireworks game this late in the season. That'd be like trying to scalp tickets at halftime of a football game. After you attempted to sell the guy you're negotiating with some endo kush. Take that Cadillac, turn it towards 20th in Washington, and see if the chill you feel running down your spine is the soul of a lost ghost. Or if that feeling that you may have is because you just sold a baggie to an undercover cop. And this has been another edition of The Ghost Roast. And I suppose at some point we should probably get back to the story. According to our legend, no one is entirely sure why this young man was walking in this particular part of town on this particular day. What we do know is that he came to a stop on the southeast corner of their intersection. While stopped there, the legend tells us a roadster came speeding up to the intersection and squealed its tires to a stop right next to him. At present, at this particular intersection, is a four-way stop. It's fairly unassuming, a quiet little corner, a few apartments on one end, a giant house on the other. Back then, I'm honestly not sure. The Roadster, from what I can find, would have been one of those very old-school cars two seats max with the long front end and either a soft top or no top at all. And from inside, as the vehicle slowed down, according to witnesses, it quickly became apparent that they weren't selling weed or buying sparklers. The young pedestrian turned to try to run, recognizing someone in the vehicle, but before he could escape, he was shot. Several shots rang out, echoing off the suddenly looming homes that had once appeared so benign the reverberations seeming to hang in the air like vibrating smoke. The car sped off, disappearing in the fading light of the prairie dusk on the city streets. The police were never able to solve the crime. The young man, shot multiple times, lay dying at the corner of 20th and Washington, life fading like that January day as witnesses scrambled to remember the car or figure out what had happened. The young man's death remains a mystery to this day. Who he was, why he died, those are as much shrouded in the dark folds of time as his purpose of walking that day. It's said that his younger sister lived in their shared childhood home for many, many years after his death. She kept that tragedy, that double shot of human anguish in her home locked behind a closed door on the first floor of the house. She still lived near the place where her brother had been taken from her. As a young girl, she had looked up that day, staring up from her toys, strewn about on the floor, in the kind of chaotic minefield of plastic and wood that so often littered the room of a young child, and she remembered waving goodbye to her brother on the day that he died. From the moment she'd found out of his murder, she had left the room in exactly the same state, unable to forget, but not fully wanting to remember. It stayed that way until the day of her own passing. In the later stages of the sister's life, 
a nurse was called upon to be her in-home care provider, and that nurse reported feeling strange feelings inside the home, even going so far as to report seeing what she believed to be the impression of a sleeping head on a pillow, a pillow that would have belonged to the man that was killed. It was a tragic story with a tragic end, a life stolen too soon, and a family left to try to recover from senseless violence. The end. Only this story doesn't have a period at the end. It has an ellipsis. It may even have a question mark. Here's the thing about good ghost stories. Sometimes they didn't happen at all. Or, if they did happen, the truth and the enigma have gotten mixed together. You know when you go to a bar, especially one of those hipster joints that's downtown Lincoln in the newly renovated Haymarket area, or that's in inexplicably located in Benson, and the guy with the mustache and the armfuls of tattoos, especially those little ones that circle around his forearm. When that guy starts making you a drink, and he's shaking things and pouring things, steam is spilling out, he's got a flamethrower for some reason, and all those ingredients, you really don't know what's going into it. It's a total riddle. But when it all comes together and you drink that down and you leave your $18 bar tab for one drink behind, it's just about right. That's what this becomes. So let's rewind for a minute. Let's consider the place, 20th and Washington. Consider the person, a young man, and consider the way that he was killed. Shot to death by unknown assailants for an unclear reason. All of this appears to be verifiable. They are facts. There was, in actuality, a young man murdered at this corner in and around this time. The rest? Well, we know that from the little bit of research I can do when I Google things over my lunch break. But not, strangely enough, as presented to us in the Guide to the Ghosts of Lincoln. In his defense, Alan Boy didn't have Googs working in his favor like we do. Heck, he didn't even have Netscape or Webcrawler. See, all I gotta do is type a few keywords in and poof, like a weed dealer emerging from between three smoke bombs on Independence Day, I know certain things about this murder. Here's what I know, what I think, and what I can prove. I think Alan's story is rooted in the truth. I know that there was an unsolved homicide six blocks from where I grew up, and I can prove the connection based on what I found. The date was January 22, 1921, and Adrian Barstow was on his way home from a late night out with his broskies. Back then, they were probably more like the fraternal organization of Aristophocles and Sons, or some other excruciatingly long Greek club name. It's unclear whether he was out giving a living middle finger to Prohibition by knocking back a few illicit underground beers, or, as his parents told the Lincoln Sunday Star at the time, he'd been down watching a movie. What we do know is he parked his vehicle in his garage and started making his way into the large house that he shared with his super-rich parents. See, they'd moved to town from Ord, Nebraska fairly recently, and were running a very successful grain business. And so, obviously, he was trying to cash in on mom and pops 
letting him live in their mansion. It was approximately 11.45 at night, and all these hopes and dreams were about to come unraveled that frosty quarter to midnight. We don't know if he startled a burglar inside the home or what exactly happened, but Adrian was shot. He was shot once in the stomach and abdomen area, and then another from close range in the face, execution style. As the sound of the shots faded, Adrian's life drifting up and silently away like smoke from a candle, his mother ran to the window, her pulse caroming around in her temples, pinball terror filling her veins. She glanced down at the darkened lawn and saw a man riding his bike across the street. He appeared unhurried, his casual demeanor flying in the face of the panic that was currently wrapping five fingers around the throat of Adrian's mom as she cleared her eyes and tried desperately to squint a failed attempt to secure an ID on this unbothered perpetrator. She couldn't, though, try as she might. And like that, he was gone. They both were. Adrian died that night, murdered in the cold and the dark and the snow. And his killer simply put feet to pedals and disappeared the January night, putting up a frigid smokescreen. His parents offered a $5,000 reward at the time which comes out to about 70 grand in 2019 money. No small fee. Nothing ever showed. They never were able to pin the murder on anyone. There are neat bows, there's loose ends, and then there's this. The tattered, wind-blown unknown. The blank page. Not even gifted with the final two words the end on that last page but more like a printer that just ran out of ink a story being written and then it stopped we know how when and where why who those questions bounce off the walls of that house at 1445 south 20th street to this day as adrian barstow's body grew cold that place, this spot six blocks from all the warmth of a June sun childhood that I lived, never came back. Not to that corner. Adrian was and is forever cold. And the same can be said of the place where he breathed his last breath. Thank you for listening. This has been a Ghosts of Lincoln podcast. Yes, it's a little late for a seven-year-old. Tell them why we waited to do the podcast until Father's Day today. We're recording this on a new podcasting set. That's right, they got me a new podcasting set, so we're going to give this a shot and see how it works. We're very excited. We've done about 48 takes so far where Evan has giggled and shouted and made fart noises and been completely horrified that his dad would ever use a swear word on a recording. Yeah, he said the D word. And so we're going to try to move past that. Now tell me this, Emmett. When we drove past 20th and Washington Street today, did you see or feel anything strange? Nope. Just a normal old day on my 
tushing in the car. <laughs> Thank you for your time. All right, and before we go, Emma did want to tell everyone, uh, let's go over what your favorite ghost is. Faceless Fred. And who exactly is Faceless Fred? He's a faceless dude, obviously. And while you're done uh, rupturing the eardrums of the people listening to this, why don't you tell them where Faceless Fred haunts? This restaurant we went to. You farted all over the place. We can't confirm that. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm making that up. I'm just telling a fake story. But I smelled farts in there sometime. <laughs> it's probably my dad's, though. Happy Father's Day, everyone. So what I'd like for you to do now is tell all the folks a few tips. Let's say it's you and a ghost one-on-one in a haunted house. What would you do? If it was not... If the Ghostbusters were real and I had signal, I'd just be like, Hello, can you come in like... A nanosecond or something, because there's a ghost in here. And I'll... And, and that's perfect. Whose phone would you be calling from? I don't know. If ghosts had phones, I'd probably call. And also, if the ghost wasn't like... You could just punch right through it, and it would just like go through it. And you could just go through it. I would just... Punch that sucker! <laughs> in the... Dark.